I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Satan, you bow your knee. Satan, you bow your knee. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. COVID-19. Guys, um, listen. I just want to say this is the best part of my week. <laughs> it's, I'm, man, I'm with you. Like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now. I was, I'm, I'm working on a, I'm working on a, uh, uh, I'm delivering a, a keynote speech in like an hour, and uh, part of my, part of my talk, I'm talking about like things that I'm grateful for, and uh, dudes, I'm just grateful. Honestly, like this has like been the highlight of my quarantine has been just sitting down on these Fridays and and trying to feel good with you guys. However, I got I need to preface. <laughs> I need to preface. This feel good Friday <sighs> episode is um we're we're, we're going to, you know, as we've been doing, we've been throwing real Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As we've been doing, we've been throwing to, you know, we've been we've been like farting around and 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 making making each other laugh for like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes and then we throw to these conversations with like specialists and and it's like usually like really interesting topics and and like kind of the, you know the conversations are usually pretty fun at least for us like they're fun I don't know how how you listeners feel um, but I'm assuming that you're having fun with us um, uh, but this this week this week is a little different uh, it, uh, we throw to a conversation with our new friend Doctor uh, Doctor Sinha who is a geriatrics uh, specialist in Toronto and um, and. There's not it's a lot hilarious. Of, no, no, it is not. There's not a lot of feel good. It's a lot of feel. It's a lot of feel. It's a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of uh, it, it's feel real. It's feel real Friday because uh, because Sen- Sinha uh, dropped some realness and it, and, and you know and what? You, it, it's feel it's a, it's an important conversation. Um, so it's great that you it's great that you prefaced um, this conversation with that chair, but like we'll just let people feel that way when they get to that yeah. part of the conversation. Be, well, and, you know, we'll have some fun before. That, and that's what I wanted to say to you two right now is let's make sure that we have some silly goose times right now so that when we get to that conversation, people are like, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to feel bummed out. Um, um, so having said that, guys, I need. I fucking need to read to you this article that blew that blew my mind. Also, kind of like weirdly timely. So this past um, this past Wednesday, 
so two days ago, we put out our, our, our weekly Turn Me On episodes. And the episode was specifically about, we had a conversation with a, a guy who runs a company who sells um, uh, action figure models, is what they're called. All right? That's, like, that's, the, that's the term that's supposed to be used. What it really is is a sex, a sex doll. We, we most of us know them as sex dolls. But, uh, <laughs> Hold on, what is it? An action figure? An action figure? Action, action model. Action figure model. Okay, and so it was actually with, with circular open mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. All right. I, I should be called surprised action figure <laughs> model. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. All right, listen. Raised eyebrows and everything. As a part of as a part of Turn Me On podcast, we were trying to destigmatize sexuality. We we're trying to normalize this, the conversation of sexuality. And this guy that we had on, Don, who runs a company that sells action figure models, you know, there's a lot of stigma attached to those. <laughs> hey. Hey, man, (laughs) listen, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stigma attached to those. There's a lot of stigma attached to those dolls. And, and cause, cause here's the thing is that those dolls aren't necessarily only bought for intimacy. They're actually, they're, they're they're actually used. They're, they're used in many other ways. Um, and, and, and yes, they, they, they most certainly can be used that way, but they're not necessarily only use that way Ex- exclusively exactly right. now so it's actually a really like wonderful conversation that we have with him and kind of like enlightening and beautiful and 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 kind of changed my outlook on what on what um on what like a an action figure model doll or a sex doll could be used for <laughs> and in terms of like people who who find a lot of like comfort in in those things in those in those like products right so we're having this conversation yada yada it's really fascinating and then i find this fucking article on cbc a cbc.ca sports article this is coming from south korea uh south korean soccer team slammed with record fine for putting sex dolls in seats so this is uh this article came out yesterday on thursday fc seoul could be expelled from own stadium over incident this is this is Whoa. wackadoo. All right, listen to this. Listen to this. So, okay. South Korea's K-League said on Wednesday, K-League is like the, the league of the, of the, it's, the FC. It's a really big league. Big it's like, league. The, um, like the, the Premier League of, of Korea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sponsored by K-pop. So, uh, South Korea's K-League, uh, is that true? Or was that just it? Was that because nope. because <laughs> nope. I'm like just I'm like that could be true. Just thrown in there because everything from Korea is I K mean something. Yeah, yeah, right, totally. South Korea, <laughs> uh, South Korea's K League said Wednesday its disciplinary committee decided to impose a 100 million won fine, which equates to about 113 thousand 173 dollar fine on FC Seoul. About, yeah, just ab- about that. About about roughly exactly that. About uh, specifically. <laughs> uh, uh, $113,000 fine on FC Seoul. Per for, doll. For using sex dolls <laughs> instead of mannequins to fill empty seats in their stadium. Dude, what's the difference if the point is to have them sitting there watching a game? Were they clothed? Were they wearing jerseys? Well, li- li- listen to the rest of the article. The club, the club placed dolls in seats during a K-League match on Sunday to make up for the absence of fans due to COVID-19 restrictions. Quote, the disciplinary committee decided to take heavy disciplinary action considering the graveness, the graveness of the incident caused by the real doll, in quote, which actually, there you go, good, 
action figure model. We're we're get, we're moving in the right direction. Real doll <laughs> that was greatly that that has greatly insulted and hurt female and family fr- fans. Why would this hurt? Why, why are you singling out female fans and to prevent and to prevent <laughs> similar incidents from going forward? Kaylee said in a statement. The club the club apologized on Monday, saying that they had failed to check the cons- co sent by the supplier. Thought, though adding it was not aware that the dolls were adult products. Uh, though the incident was not intended, it, okay. was, it was possible to distinguish the dolls from ordinary mannequins in the club, and the club has made a serious mistake by not removing them when it had enough time before the game started. So, okay, I, there's a picture here. These dolls, these models, these, 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 these I'm going to use the word action figure models, okay? The, 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 they're being used in a way that is outside the, the realm of being fucked. Okay, and so and and they, they're, they're fu- they're, <laughs> look they're look they're fully they're fully clothed. They're holding fucking signs like "Go rah rah team." They're wearing masks. They they put masks on them. They, uh, dude, and they're say, probably <laughs> and they're probably cheaper than mannequins, Here, and they're probably lighter than mannequins, which makes them far cheaper to ship. And I was gonna to, say that the like the, it's crazy. I, I, the, I'm, the I'm putting the link, putting that, the link like, in the chat. Go go go. No look matter at that, what, go look at that photo. no matter what was happening in the game, <laughs> they would always look surprised so like, you're you're like a, a player on the field and you like do a cool move and literally hundred thousand <laughs> audience members just dude, they're just shocked they're just they just <laughs> like oh. dude, they just look like they look like they just look like the realest mannequins you've ever seen yes that's all they look like and, they just look like real pe- and just like, and just because you can fuck it doesn't make it <laughs> bad you, dude imagine if p if 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 if, if like a bunch <laughs> of people came to the stair the stadium and they were like hey wait you can have sex with these people. This is wrong. <laughs> and they got mad that there were people in the stands because you could fuck people. them. I'm just I'm so bummed about it. And like and and the fact that they the fact that they make this like about like a like the like the fact that they they try to make this about being insulting Dude. to women. Like, come on, man. This is like there's there's real there's action life. There's sorry. There's there's um what did I call them? Action figure yeah, models. Thanks, thanks. There's action. There's <laughs> male action figure models. You fucking dummies. Come on. But, but did they buy but, any of those? No. They just put up cardboard. They just put the, up uh, cardboard <laughs> cutouts. And you know what? If they really were pro women, then they would have gotten. They would have spent the money on the male action figure models. This bombs me out, dude. You know how much the fucking dolls cost? Yo, actually though. Those those yeah, dolls like like Don's dolls. First of all, I asked Don. I said, "Hey, uh, on on the Termion episode, I was like, listen, if I was gonna like get a five foot two doll with all the fixins, like how much does that thing weigh?" And he was like, "All oh, the fixins. Mm, they weigh like they weigh like eighty five to ninety pounds." And I'm like, "That's a f- this one in the what? white shirt looks like she's got all the fixins. They're huge." My God. <laughs> hey, listen, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, dude, hey, dude hey. The, you know Calm what down. though? I, I want to say though because because the people listening to this can't. They're they're probably not looking at the photo right now. If you can look at the photo, go and find just this go, article. Just go to CBC. Yeah, yeah. Um, Google CBC Korea sex doll and. But I will say, I I, 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 the, but actually, the the thing I want to say is that um, you know when you first read the headline and you were like, they put sex dolls in the seats. I was like, oh man, I can see how that might be a bit of like an oversight and a bit of an oversight. Like I can, and I can you were see thinking of it like would, the sex doll that like I was the thinking there was a bunch of naked sex dolls. So I was going to tell yeah, that story too. But they're not naked. But, they're, but, uh, they're wearing like but, they're wearing like not, FC they, fucking. When you, 
when you sent that photo through, I looked at it and it looks like fans in the crowd. Like they have they have uh, face masks on to cover Guys, their surprised mouths. Uh, the re- they have the re- uh, shirts <laughs> yeah. and jerseys. They look the like reason, real people. The reason they look like you, mannequins. The reason they're using those dolls is because those dolls are are literally one step away from ex machina. Like you put a fucking you put a fucking For computer real. chip in their head and and allow that thing to walk around and talk. It's it's the robot from ex machina. Like it's so they're they're so realistic. It's crazy. Also, I wanted to say these dolls they cost. But that was the weird they, thing about Ex Machina was like you were always in the back of your head. You were going, "Is this just his sex robot?" Uh, yeah. Well, I, man, come on. It's they're actually there's more than just sex. Uh, um, these these dolls can cost um, upwards of like six grand. Could you they're, not they're just really drill expensive. a Whoa. hole in a mannequin? And like sand it so it's not rough and and have sex with that too. Like, couldn't you just do that? Wait, that well, sounds, like, so uh. everything is everything is tech. I'm making the point that everything is a everything is a every, sex doll. Any 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 doll could be a sex doll if you really want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. you could go to a fucking you could go to a you could go to a you could go to a Hudson you could go to a Hudson Bay that's closing down. <laughs> just scoop up a couple of mannequins that are gonna that are scheduled for the dumpster. Drill a, oh a hole, drill a hole wherever you want. Sand it, sand <laughs> around the edges, weird now. and you're and you're set. <laughs> uh, so, hey, the last thing the, before we before we leave this topic, which I think we should very quickly, <laughs> but um, uh, I do want to tell you um, uh, about the time when my brother uh, couldn't get a date to semi formal, so he actually brought a sex doll to semi formal as his date, and he put a it's dress a on action her. figure model, Brian. <laughs> And, At uh, this and time, you, these, no, this uh, thing was this one was straight up <laughs> sex doll. Uh, did, was, did he, did he before, fuck it at prom? <laughs> well, I don't, I didn't ask him, but I assume that maybe afterwards he was probably feeling a little bit. <laughs> well, you know. at, no, but at prom he probably didn't. He was probably dancing with it and like having a no, yeah, yeah, just yeah, having a really have, sweet time. And and so again, action, just figure. like a real human, action figure model. All right, but just fucking get it seared into your goddamn head. But it's but an you know, he model. brought. Don't you think that that's something that at a high school they would be like, oh, this is a little bit. I don't know if this is within the guidelines of what's allowed, but but the uh, think, the school I think let the it teachers. Happen. I think the teachers that uh, that volunteer to chaperone those things are the teachers that are like, this is hilarious. <laughs> and also, I will let you smoke weed in the middle of the gym floor. Dude, you know Mark. You know Mark Frank, like our best friend, who's a fucking school teacher. You know he'd love that shit. Like, that's, yeah, that's right up his alley. Oh yeah. Um, be like this is the fun. This is the brilliant. All right, idea. no more I, sex doll talk, guys. All right, fine. We'll move away from the sex doll talk here, guys. Cue up the video about the strip club in Portland. Uh, I meant so, action. action. <laughs> so we're, we're going to move from real action figure models to um, to real life humans uh, models. So this is a uh, this is a strip club in Portland, and this is a workaround that they found to to keep operating in a really unique way throughout COVID, through the quarantine. A local event company hit us up and said, "Hey, we'll come set up all the infrastructure for tents, music, lighting, sound, stages, stripper poles." And now we have a drive-through window that just happens to have <laughs> go-go dancers in it, and we're calling it Food to Go-Go. You order your food at food the beginning, to go-go. Food to the go-go. Tent, and inside the tent, there are four go-go dancers in there, two poles and a DJ. We've got a fog machine, lighting. You pull in, and you get one or two songs with the go-go's, and then we bring <laughs> your food out to you, and then you go on your way. We created barricades. I like how it's a food drive-through. 18 too. and over. 
we're handing out free rolls of toilet paper to like the first 50 or 60 cars. <laughs> we're continuing to keep our kitchen guys working. It's the only place in Portland you can get toilet paper. Dancers, you know, we've all kind of switched gears. Every small business is feeling this this pain. So uh, you can you can pause it there. So um, this 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 uh, this strip club in Portland. Uh, this is the. This isn't the first time that they they've made the news since the quarantine. It's the same strip club. I don't know if you guys read this. It was the same strip club that, in order to try to continue to, um, to give work to their their kitchen staff and their and their dancers, um, they they created Boober Eats. And so the idea was they they <laughs> they, they had people that would call or like text in or call in for food, and then their their models. Would or their dancers would show up with the food at at a person's door. <laughs> the real life like, action figure models. The real, <laughs> yeah, real life action figure hey, models. Hey, man, listen. <laughs> and so they would uh, they would deliver they would deliver food and like give a like a give like a, a dance like on their patio or whatever, um, in like in like sexy clothing. Um, but then Uber Eats fucking like cease and desisted them, and so then they were like, oh, fuck. so they hit the, they hit the drawing board again, and then they came up with with this with the with the. Uh, with the go-go dancing mm. drive-through, which top marks, I, top marks for creativity and yeah, you, uh, and and initiative. I, you have I to think applaud it's that man. ingenuity. I love that. <laughs> I, I have I have I have several friends that are that are dancers and and you know it's like it's like that. It, it would it would have been it, it's it's so it would have been just so easy for them to go. Well, we're fucked. I guess we just can't we can't um, continue. Mm-hmm. in this climate but instead you know the the owner of this place is like guys let's fi- let's figure this shit out you know let's let's hit the drawing board and come up with with any and every idea that we can that will like incentivize mm-hmm. people to come in here and and support uh what we've been doing and i man i just like i love that shit i just think it's so great what a what a feel good friday piece of content you know i know right and you know what i always do i'm just um you know to to with a little a little um a little phrasing salute to um our friends across the uh, the pond in the uk i'm always chuffed to bits when we can uh <laughs> when we can we can have the most insane ridiculous <laughs> conversation and then throw it um, to something that is, uh, you know, super, super real. Talking to a talking to talking to somebody who just represents the the most ut- the utmost professionalism and distinction in their field and in their career, and um, and that they get to 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 then be so proud of their association with. Us and that, uh, and, that uh, and that in the same yeah. episode that we discuss yeah, yeah, strip clubs yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. sex dolls. Now action uh, figure models. They, <laughs> uh, you are right, it's, Taylor. It's really, it's really, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Though? Say, this frankly, is it. it's, it's it, sad that is... he's going to share it out to his listeners, and uh, <laughs> Yo. and they get a half an hour of this first. Hey, <laughs> hey man, I don't want to. I don't want to like. I don't want to talk about what our show is and what our show isn't. But this is one of the things that I love about our show because we can we can simultaneously mix the silly and the goofy with the 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 surreal and and mm. and intense. And uh, and and having said we that, we fit no mold. With, that's right, uh, <laughs> Doctor Samir uh, Sinha. Uh, he is the director of geriatrics at Mount Sinai, mm. Mount Sinai, Toronto. Um, and he, you know, we're we're about to we're about to tap into um, one of the 
one of the most grave um one of one of the one of the biggest and and frankly saddest issues surrounding covid in our country right now which is the the detrimental effect that this has had on our elderly population and on uh long care uh long long long-term care facilities um uh, especially here in Halifax you know uh Northwood has been in the news i mean nationally with how mm-hmm. with how badly um uh the the residents of that of that facility have been affected by covid and so uh mm-hmm. we talked to Dr Sinha he he really he really doesn't hold back any punches and he he takes he takes a generous amount of time here to really point out the issues that we have been uh, that have been that have come to light in terms of how we care for our elders here in Canada and the uh, the changes that we hope to see come from um, from what we're learning right now. Um, one one little uh, heads up here, you know, uh, we're doing this from the comfort of our homes and we're having these remote guests. Sometimes the we run into some like technical issues, the audio quality. Um, is a little bit janky here and there, so just excuse that. But aside from that, take the take the time to sit down and really listen to this conversation because it is vitally important. Um, our our elderly population is is just as important as anybody else, and um, and Doctor Sinha takes the time takes the time to really really hammer that home. And I I do just want to add that that you know as as dark as it can be talking about this stuff at times like i i did feel hopeful coming out of this and mm. i and i feel like he does paint a picture of what um a solution could look like mm-hmm. and 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 you know i don't think it's i think that we can learn a lot from this so i hope you guys take um take that away from this conversation that's right uh so enjoy this conversation and um and we'll uh, we'll see you we'll see you on the other side All right, uh, we we jumped over some hurdles. Uh, technology was not on our side, but we made it through, and uh, we are sitting here with Doctor Samir Sinha. Uh, you're calling him from Toronto, and uh, so I, I'm excited to talk to you because you you are the director of uh, geriatrics at Mount Sinai Toronto, um, and we are living in a very unique time in the world um but in particular i I feel like uh uh your your specialty is 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 something that the world is in like dire need of right now um you know i i guess where where i want to start with this is like three months ago while covid slowly started to spread across the the world there was this um this very unfortunate uh, narrative going around, especially here in you know in 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 North America, where I was constantly hearing even people in my own social social circle um, saying things like, "Oh yeah, uh, COVID, you know it's it's starting to spread, but like only old people and and people with compromised immune systems really have to worry about that." And that really rubbed me the wrong way because I have cystic fibrosis. And I was like, whoa, I, that's fucking me. Like, you're, you're talking about me. Yeah, yeah, I do have to worry. 
Um, but it turns out that not only old people and not only people with Im- com- compromised immune system have to worry. Everybody should be worried about this because it's it is a virus that doesn't discriminate. Um, it's a virus that can knock you know just about anyone off their feet in a really severe way. Uh, but one thing that we have definitely seen since this has really gotten out of hand and has spread um, vastly across our country and across the United States is how much of an effect it's had on our elderly population and how much of an effect it's having on, on long care, long-term care facilities. And in, in particular here in Halifax, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of news coming out about Northwood, which is a long-term care facility. Um, and so I guess the first thing I want to want to ask you is what is your take on on everything that's that we're currently in right now? Like what what is what is your world looking like right now in a world of covid compared to to pre covid? Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. The um, the issue with covid is that um, it's something that's kind of turned everybody's world upside down, including including my world where I was, you know, just focused on caring for older patients and, and really helping um, help them stay healthy and independent for as long as possible. Um, and COVID's been one of these interesting beasts that's really kind of exposed a lot of a lot of truths and a lot of vulnerabilities that we have in our society. But you know, the first thing is, you know, you said something that that I disagree with. Um, you said, for example, that COVID doesn't discriminate, but it absolutely does, right? COVID does not attack everybody in our population the same way. Mm. If you're if you're poor. Um, if you live in a crowded housing situation, if you're immunocompromised, which, you know, you've told us you are, um, if you're old and you're not young, these are the many ways in which it's actually preying on certain people. Um, and, and that's part of the reason why we take a bunch of older, vulnerable <laughs> people, many with immunocompromised situations, many um, of the folks at Northwood, for example, 70% of people living in our long-term care homes live with dementia meaning they don't know what's going on sometimes mm. and they don't remember about the importance of physical distancing and not wandering and touching and and washing their hands mm. and so it's a recipe where covid-19 has particularly attacked with absolute fortitude it's preyed on the vulnerabilities of people themselves certain citizens um and and the ways that which we've actually treated them and that's why when I think about the three most vulnerable populations right now in Canada, we're seeing those who are not just only immunocompromised, but those who are older, those mm. particularly living in long-term care homes, those who are homeless, um, and also those living in our correctional facilities right now. That's where we've actually seen the most severe outbreaks. And what's challenged me is that I was just minding my own business, trying to trying to improve the healthcare system, and all of a sudden you realize there's not many of me out there. Mm-hmm. There's only 300 geriatricians in the country. Um, and yet wow. we're now at the forefront of trying to deal with an epidemic um, that has already claimed 5,000 lives in our long-term care homes, mostly older adults. So that's a little bit of what my, what my world looks like at the moment. Well, we, why, we, why, are, why are there so little amount of, of geriatrics? Uh, did you say geriatricians? Is that the... Yeah. So why, like, just why, like, why are there so few? Well, so that's a million dollar question. Number one is we don't tend to value the weak and the frail and the vulnerable in our society. As you know, mm. number one is 
If you go back to 1900, our life expectancy in Canada was only 51 years of age, right? And when we actually created Medicare, our beloved Medicare in Canada, um, and our universal healthcare systems, but in Canada in particular, uh, our, the average age of Canadian when we set up our universal healthcare system was 27 years of age. So if you think about a, a, a national healthcare system for 27-year-olds, the last thing on your mind are like medications per se, or mm. nursing homes, or home care, because the average 27-year-old out there they need a hospital and they need a doctor if they're pretty sick. And so we made sure we covered that. But now the average Canadian is much older. And we realized we've actually built a healthcare system that didn't really take into account older people. And as we've actually started to age as a society, you know, we're more obsessed right now with anti-aging than we are with aging. And as more and more of us are older in our society, you'd be surprised to find out that at medical schools, you know, just down the road for Northwood, Dalhousie, for example, or mm -hmm. any of the medical schools in Ontario, they don't necessarily mandate geriatric training at all. Um, and if they do, it's far less than the training we get in pediatric care. So I'll give you a stat just to prove my example. Uh, right now in Canada, we have 75,000 doctors, and we have nine times as many pediatricians in our country as we do geriatricians. So nine times... 300 equals 2,700 pediatricians. And yet, just about two or three years ago, older people started outnumbering younger people for the first time in Canadian history. And we are we don't have the physician support ready to mm. meet the needs of an aging population, nor do we have people graduating from our medical schools knowing how to care for older adults. I'm interested that that's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated that that, that, there are, that, the, the, that ratio is what it is. Especially mm. given the the you know very obvious and sort of like you know lo maybe looming is not the right word but I'll, I'll go with looming that uh, baby boomer population that is that is like that is massive and that is and that are in their geriatric that are moving towards their geriatric years and that there isn't that there isn't like it does it look like there is a, a like a that it's going in that direction, like there are being more people more interested in in in, um, in going into that field, or or is it not really ticking up at all? Even though the population to serve that um, need is growing. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I started practicing geriatrics back in 2010, when I hung up my shingle in downtown Toronto, there were about 250 geriatricians. So the good news is we're now up to 305, right? But at the same time, in that same period, we added almost 2 million more older Canadians because our baby boomers started turning 65 uh, back in 2011. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that older population is going to double within the next 10 years. Um, and the 85 and older population is going to quadruple. And the fastest growing segment of our population are what we call centenarian, those who are 100 and above. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so we have a few more people doing this care. But our medical schools haven't retooled. Mm. Our society hasn't said, "Wait a minute, we need to have more home care and more, 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 um, you know, more care to meet the needs of an aging population." I think we're just kind of hoping that maybe this virus would come along and, you know, dare I say it, just kill off all these problems. But it isn't doing that. It's only exposing the fact that mm. we're so underprepared. Well, well, do you think that on that note that 
it's exposing this situation to a degree that we're actually going to be able to now um, that it, it's becoming uh, a, more of an apparent problem and that we can now actually equip ourselves to um, handle that or, or shift that a little bit? You know, Brian, great question. And I think it's really hard to bury 5,000 bodies or to hide them, right? Right. Um, that, that's, that's the death count. And we're only six weeks into this pandemic, if you will, right now. Um, and we know that this pandemic is going to go on for another um, 18 months or so at least. So, you know, there will be more Northwoods. Uh, Quebec and Ontario, people have been seeing the headlines coming out where things have gotten so bad, we've had to call in the army. Um, we've had to actually try and um, shore up the staffing in these homes with by getting people from hospitals and local school boards involved um, just to try and make ends meet. And even the military now is saying, wait a minute, like we, we could help out for a month, but this looks like it's going to be a problem that's going to go on for a long time. Mm -hmm. And right now, Quebec is missing 10,000 workers in their care homes right now. So, yeah, we can't ignore these problems. And it's just sad that it's taken 5,000 deaths to earn a sick boy podcast, right? <laughs> so, right. but I'm hoping, you I'm hoping it, that we didn't need all those deaths. We could have arranged this beforehand. <laughs> we, we could have, but, but we didn't. And, you know, and, and maybe the best thing that'll come out of this is that someone listening will also agree that right. enough is enough. And I think, and I think the big thing is, is our prime minister now, our minister of health federally, um, our premiers of Ontario and Quebec, our health ministers, our long-term, they've all said, yeah, the system's broken. Yeah, mm. um, we need to fix the system. They're now all talking about inquiries and commissions and all these sorts of things. But you know, the sad part is we've been through commissions and inquiries, mm. um, and we still haven't fundamentally changed a system of care because it's going to mean we got to put more money into this. Mm. It means that we've actually got to pay people who provide this care better. Um, it means that we actually have to recognize that. We've got to do a much better job caring for older adults. And I don't know whether or not we're still ready to think about them when there's so many of us here as well. Is there a um, is there a society, you know, except like Japan jumps to mind as like a, as a society and a culture that just 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 places it. They just have a different fundamental um, value for uh, elders in their in their community. Um that's like a culture that jumps to mind. But are there healthcare systems or um, uh, around the world, countries around the world that are that are doing a job that you know Canada that you usually that you know people around the world probably associate with you know good healthcare and all this stuff. But is Canada looking to any anywhere and saying you know we love what they're doing? Can we do more of that? Absolutely, and I think. Here's a few things. Number one, right now, when we look at all the countries around the world that have been affected by COVID, Canada has this, this dubious honor of having the highest rate of its deaths occurring in long-term care homes. <coughs> um, so that's, that's the first thing there. And then when you actually look at countries that were devastated by SARS, our last major coronavirus experience, um, you need to just look over to South Korea. You need to look at uh, countries like uh, Taiwan and Singapore where they actually haven't had um, any deaths in their long-term care homes. Why? Because after SARS, they realized that these coronaviruses can be highly contagious. They can spread between facilities very easily, um, that people have to be isolated and masked, and that they, they realized those lessons really well. 
and they implemented them. So these were the countries that were closest to the pandemic when it started in China, and yet they haven't recorded a single death in a care home. Why? Because they learned their lessons and they applied them. And we have 5,000 people dead in these homes already. Mm. And we had our own SARS commission, because remember, mm-hmm. Canada was actually hit badly by SARS. Um, but we learned about what it could do in hospitals. We never applied those lessons to our long-term care home. Now, when you look at a country like Denmark, for example, Denmark's a country that I like to hold as a great example because they're a country that has a universal healthcare system, mm-hmm. um, but they included things like medications, um, home care, uh, nursing home care in their system. And in fact, many years ago, Denmark realized that, wait a minute, how many of us listening or how many of us speaking aspire to end up in a nursing home? Well, nobody really does, right? But we want to we want to have a good quality home available if we need it. However, um, what Denmark realized a number of years ago was healthcare costs were spiraling out of control. Right now, we just did a study through our National Institute on Aging last year that showed that over the next 30 years with our aging population, our um, our our, our long-term care costs, that's home care and nursing home care, are going to more than triple from $22 billion to $71 billion if we do nothing differently. So we've got a big bill that we're going to be responsible for if we mm. do nothing differently. So what did Denmark do? They actually said, well, wait a minute. Where do all of you guys want to live? Um, where do you want to end up aging? How many of you want to live in a nursing home? Nobody raises their hand. And so, so how about this? How about if I tell you instead of spending $71 billion, we could spend a lot less, and I can give you guys home care, and so you can actually stay more healthy and independent in your communities. And that's what Denmark did. And by doing that, what they substantially did was they didn't build any new nursing home beds for 20 years in their country. And the better part was because they were actually providing more care for people in their home that was cheaper to deliver than in an institution, they actually closed thousands of hospital beds. Why? Mm. Because they didn't have people having to wait, you know, they didn't have to wait in the hospital to go to their own home because they had a bed in their own home. They just needed that care, which is cheaper to provide. But when you build an institution, it costs 150 grand just to build the bed. And then it costs a ton of money to staff that and organize that. Mm-hmm. When every Canadian, well, most Canadians have a home and a bed they can sleep in. And it's just about being creative. And that's what countries like Denmark have done. And that's why they've really shown us examples of how you can reorient things in a sustainable way and mm. deliver the care that people actually want and need. Do we have this- any fundamental barriers to that at all that like that, you know, that makes it challenging for Canada to do that? Or is it or is it, you know, I want to say as simple. It's obviously not simple, but is it is it really like looking at Denmark and saying, hey, we just w- w- we want to we want to pilot this program and see if doing what Denmark did, which worked, well, that like, we we want to see if that works in Canada. You know, Canada is always one of these places. Anywhere you go, they say, "Well, we're different, right?" You know, maybe we should do it this way. There's also a lot of political forces at play, right? This stuff takes time and effort to actually do. But I don't think we need to pilot this. I think there's so much evidence around things that we could do better around the world. How do we fund this? Well, there are actually good mechanisms that. Asian countries and European countries have created called things like long-term care insurance. Um, it's where we all kind of fund a system that's sustainable because I don't know if you have $71 billion lying around, but I can tell you in 30 years, 30 years from now, the long-term care costs that we expect will happen if we do nothing differently, that'll be half of the personal income revenue that we're generating at that time. 
there won't be any money left over to actually pay for other things unless we really hike taxes much further. Mm. But there are sustainable ways to fund this, and we've seen this in other countries. Number two, we know exactly what we could do, and we know that we can do all of these things, but we just need the political will and finally um, you know, the interest to actually do it. And, mm -hmm. we, and we owe it to ourselves, and frankly, why? Because if we're going to be selfish and if any of us are planning to live, um, beyond the age of 65, and mm. most Canadians will, the life expectancy is now 82, then we actually have to make sure that we actually change these things for the better. So we can do this. Um, we know how to do it. We just have to just get down and do it. Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this word from our sponsors. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. It's, it's so striking to me that you say... Um you know, like if, if you ask a group of people who wants to end up in a nursing home, um, that, that, that everybody would say, well, certainly not me yet. You know, it seems like it's the only option in a lot of ways for, for us here in Canada, given the, the way that the system is currently set up. Um, and it just makes me, it makes me dread someday thinking about being old when like there could mm. be the, the beautiful, more cost-effective um, situation of staying at your own house or in your own residence. I think this has brought the reality home because, again, a lot of people are related to the 5,000 who've died. That, these are people's grandparents. These are yeah. people's parents, their aunts and uncles. And right now, if you realize that, well, why did, why did Grandpa end up at Northwood, for example? Well, because he couldn't get enough home care. And my God, home care would have mm. been cheaper. Why did we give him more home care? And, I, and a lot of people who end up in nursing homes in Canada, it's a point of last resort. You know, we actually had a term in Britain 100 years ago called the poorhouse. Because basically, if you don't have any money left over, and I'll tell you this fun fact, the average Canadian who's retiring now, who's going into retirement, okay, um, who doesn't have a workplace pension, and only 30% of Canadians now are retiring with a workplace pension. I'm not talking about CPP. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, you know, a pension from the school board or a pension from, mm -hmm. from the hospital. The rest of us, you know, 70% are retiring with only $3,000 in the bank on average. So if you're relying on government-funded home care, which is quite meager, um, and you don't have a million dollars in the bank to pay for your own private, you know, home care service and everything else, <clears throat> you only have one option left if you want to live, and that's you go to a nursing home. So 85% of the people in Ontario nursing homes can't even afford their own rent, right? Yeah. It's just telling you it's a system that we've created. And, uh, and this is why, you know, when you start looking at what the future could hold, you know, how many people right now in Halifax are thinking if they get an offer at Northwood, they want to go in tomorrow, Right. You know, mm. nothing against the staff there by any means. The staff mm -mm. there are incredible people. But the people, you know, we, we fund our nursing homes just at, at the outset so poorly 
that to cut costs, you know, or to or to try and make ends meet, these homes, you know, what they end up doing is they only give people part-time work. Mm-hmm. They don't give them benefits like pensions or sick days, mm-hmm. things that you would get if you work at the local hospital. But we fund the system so poorly, this is what forces people to work in multiple homes. And it's why whenever a job pops up at the hospital, people are, they're hightailing it out to go to the hospital to get a better paying job for the same type of work. So fundamentally, again, we have to realize that if we're not looking forward to aging because this might be our future, we have the power to change it and we have the power to fund a system that can deliver much better care at a cheaper cost as well. So, okay, I, I'm glad you said that, um, and it, which it, it makes me it makes me want to bring up. So, like the, the whenever I'm faced with this notion of like of of like really staring down a system that's broken head on, um, it's I it's hard for me in in the chair that I'm sitting in to feel like uh, it, it's a very helpless feeling, right? It, like what. Obviously, there's there's the people higher up than me that like that make all the decisions, um, and and it just feels so out of my hands. So, and and maybe maybe there I don't know maybe I'm not gonna like the answer to this, but like what what can people like us do to help push the system towards a a, a resolution that is that is far more. Um, uh, far better than, than what we're currently sitting and what we're currently facing. I think the simple answer is just vote, right? So mm. it's, it was fascinating because back in, two, you know, so again, 2011, the baby boomers started turning 65. And if there's one group of people that our politicians fear the most, it's the older population. Why? Mm. 80% of them vote. They vote twice as the rate that millennials vote right now. So they're the most politically engaged, and you know what? They're the fastest-growing voting segment in society. And for a lot of them being closer to maybe needing a nursing home or home care, I don't think they're going to be very keen to vote in any future government that's not going to fix this and fix this for good. But here's the deal. All of us actually have something in common with the baby boomers. We're all going to age, right? Mm. If we play our cards right, the average Canadian lives till 82, and those of us who make it to 65 have 20 years of life expectancy ahead of us. And about, you know, 10% of us, 1 in 10, will need care like this in future. So the key is that in 2015, in the last federal election or two federal elections ago, the number one health care concern of Canadians was having enough home care available. And so what did we see? We had the three federal political parties get into a bidding war. The Liberals pledged $3 billion. The NDP pledged 1.8. The Tories that lost the election, they pledged zero, right? And when the Liberals finally had to negotiate the last health accord with the provinces, they actually ended up spending $6 billion over 10 years to try and shore up our home care system. So that was because people were voting, and the politicians were saying, wow, the federal government has no jurisdiction over home care, but my God, if that's what Canadians want, we'll throw money at this issue and try and see if we can make it better. But it's not mm. just about throwing money. It's about saying, how do we fundamentally allow mm. the system to be reorganized in a sustainable way? And I think this is where we need to have more thoughtful things rather than political announceables to get your vote and make you feel like maybe you solved the problem when we didn't. Mm. Yeah, it, it's interesting because um, you know, 
I guess it's all, all on how you present it too, right? Because if if you're talking to um, a bunch of baby boomers and politically you're saying, well, you know, we don't want to invest uh, money into <coughs> nursing homes, they're in their minds they're thinking, well, they need to be funding nursing homes. That's where I'm headed for. Um, when when the reality is like, you know, if if we take the money and take it out of the nursing homes and put it in in places like home care, then um, that's going to ultimately be a better solution for them. But, but like, I guess it's like, is there, is there a general consensus that like, Oh, this is what we need to do. Like we need to take the money out of nursing homes and put it into home care because this is kind of like the first time that I've heard that idea, but I would, I would be worried that older populations would think like, Oh no, we need to be funding nursing homes better when maybe that seems like it isn't the solution. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I'll give you some stats again. When you look at the major economic countries around the world, the average spend, you know, if you take $100 um, in, in the whole sector of long-term care, which should include home care and nursing home care, um, the average country around the world spends about 30%, one in three of its dollars on home care and about two-thirds of its dollars on nursing home care. In Canada, we spend 87%, 87 cents on the dollar goes to nursing home care and only 13% on home care. And then, get this, if you go to Denmark, 60% of their spending or 66% of their spending is on home care and only a third on nursing home care. Now, the next thing is, if you ask any person who's a baby boomer, what would you, would you rather age in your own home that you've lived in for the last 30 years or go to the the nursing home down the street, they will more quickly say, "I'd rather be in a home in in my own home than go to a nursing home." So yeah. that's the reason why the federal government two elections ago, you know, basically pledged money for home care, not nursing home care, because that's what the people who vote were saying they wanted. So, but you don't get this in the Ontario election, you know, that recently occurred. There was a bidding war amongst the three political parties there, which boggled my mind. All three political parties were pledging to build 30,000 new nursing home beds. That's what they were pledging. And the three political parties were like, I can build them faster than you. You're going to build uh, you know, 30,000 in, in 10 years, or I'm going to build them quicker. This garbage, because frankly, when you actually look at the cost that we need to actually spend to build beds, and I'll tell you, in the last two years, how many of those new beds have been built? Zero. Why? Mm. It takes years to build a bed. And then, you know, here, who wants to go into a bed in the first place? Now, we will need more nursing home beds, don't get me wrong. But the key is home care is cheaper. Um, it's more in line with what people want. And we have great international examples of how that actually works. And so I'm going to again say that if there's one issue that would unify all generations, because if I ask you guys, and I don't think any of you are baby boomers, and neither am I, um, how many of you would rather have home care than nursing home care? If I could tell you that could keep you at home, mm. I think we'd all—I think we'd all say yes. And I can tell you, every baby boomer feels the same way. Yet, you know, here's the challenge. Here's what I really think is the the reason why we have this love for nursing homes. It's because it's easier to cut a ribbon in front of a shiny new building, you know, for that great photo op showing you're doing something. And it's really hard to cut a ribbon in front of any of your homes and say, you know, 
In Brian Combe, there's more home care going on. Trust but, me. But there's so know? many more ribbons to be cut that way. You know what I mean? It's like like there like way more photo opportunities if you actually, actually invested in those ribbons. You know what, Jeremy? You know, next time I meet with the minister, I'm like, imagine this. Yeah. We actually have yeah. millions of people receiving home care, yeah. and we'll cut ribbons in front of everybody's everybody's home at everybody's yeah. home. Yeah. Um, now, so. So something that we've been we've been discussing and debating and you know we we did a we did a little live show last night and we were talking about it then is is what starts to what starts to happen um to these more vulnerable populations people like Jeremy with with suppressed immune systems people who are over a certain age people who are living in long-term uh, care facilities um anybody that's in that's in that circle what starts to happen while as we start to um, open things back up and there's no vaccine yet and we're opening we're reopening businesses and and you know gatherings of people are starting to you know the the limit on gatherings in different provinces is starting to rise and um, and and there's still no there's still no vaccine that really protects the people that are most vulnerable like Jeremy like like geriatrics what is the what is the advice that that they are going to that they are going to get well this is the challenge and this is what scares a lot of us right like we actually were so you know concentrated on on trying to keep our hospitals ready to try and meet the onslaught that we thought would when we expected another italy or new york to happen Mm -hmm. Um, and we're lucky that that didn't happen because we were great as a country to start our lockdown earlier than others um, and, and we were really good overall at physical distancing. So that was great. But what we showed was that we have so many of these systemic issues in our long-term care homes. And in, in certain parts of the country, they were far slower at implementing proven measures that we figured out could prevent COVID. That that's partly why I think Northwood was as bad as it was, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's why I think BC's done a tremendously good job in stopping the outbreaks and keeping less than 10% of their homes. Um, in outbreak. And meanwhile, in Ontario, we just crossed 25% of our homes in outbreak already. So the challenge now is, is that, okay, so we're getting, we're getting things under control. Um, you know, things are now starting to, to, to turn the corner a little bit, but now we're going to let everybody run around once again. And the problem is, is once we start opening up our borders as well, COVID spreads, right? This is a virus that's sneaky. Um, this is a virus that spreads easily, especially with its asymptomatic presentation. And the real concern here is, is that, you know, think about a place like Prince Edward Island. Prince Edward Island, 150,000 people, right? Uh, one of my former trainees, Martha Carmichael, is the geriatrician there. She called me up a, about a month or two ago saying, what do I need to do to protect my nursing homes? I've got no COVID and I want to keep it that way. And so I said, you know, this is what we need to do. She implemented everything. You know, they've been great. But here's the challenge. Prince Edward Island, it's the land of of Anne of Green Gable, right? It's a great place where people want to travel to during the summer. So now all the planes start arriving from across Canada and all of a sudden from New York State and from the U.S. where COVID's out of control and from other countries. And all of a sudden, you reintroduce it into the community. Mm-hmm. It then starts spreading around. And then those people who are vulnerable, people like Jeremy, for example, who's just minding his own business out in the community, he shakes your hand or whatever. He gets too close and, and doesn't. you didn't have a mask on. Or 
workers get it in their own homes, and then they actually bring it into the long-term right. care homes. The thing is, we're going to have more and more outbreaks. We're going to have more and more deaths. And the sad part of it, you know, if I'm being absolutely honest, is, you know, people are saying, we've got to tolerate a certain loss of life. Like, we might lose Jeremy along the way, but as long as our hospitals don't get completely overwhelmed and our healthcare mm. system doesn't collapse, well, this is called the collateral damage because, you know, be, I'll be damned if, 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 I start, if I keep staying at home and we stall the economy because we care so much about Jeremy. Or, or we really care about those people in those homes who are going to die anyways in a few years. So what's the big deal? And I think this is where we've got to balance, you know, our, you know, kind of that Canadian approach where we've got to support each other as a country to be absolutely vigilant, but be, you know, but be smart about it. Because until we have a vaccine, and you know what the sad part is, we might never get a vaccine. COVID might be here to stay, and it's going to keep preying on all those vulnerable populations we talked about if we don't get this under control. Mm. Go ahead, Bri. Yeah. I was just going to ask one one last question about uh, COVID-19, and, and I am curious, you, you mentioned it earlier about how uh, South Korea um, learned from SARS and, and, and implemented new things that uh, had a significant impact uh, in a positive way on how the geriatric population there experienced um, this new coronavirus. Uh, do you, do, can you give us any example or idea of what they did? Because, you know, SARS wasn't that long ago. So it seems like they they must have learned some type of lesson and implemented some type of change that has been, you know, immensely effective over uh, the short time uh, between SARS and now. Yeah, so so South Korea is an interesting story because you know they were affected by SARS and then more recently by MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, mm-hmm. for example. And there was a big national scandal there because the people felt that they just didn't handle um, that uh, that virus as well as they could. So when when coronavirus came knocking this time around, the government didn't waste any time. They got experts together. They said, you know what, we need to create tests. So South Korea started creating massive testing capacity. They were doing um, incredible job contact tracing as they started having these outbreaks. Um, and they made sure they sealed off their nursing homes. They made sure that if there was a case that was reported, they isolated that individual well. But they also had taken precautions from before. They learned that we shouldn't have people living in multi, um, in, in two to a room or three to a room in a nursing home. If you have one person in a room um, only, which is more expensive to build, but frankly, it's safer to live in. Mm. You know, these are the things that they, they applied. And that's why it's South Korea, it's Taiwan, it's Hong Kong, it's Singapore. We've seen countries that were deeply affected that did these things. Now, in Canada, we started realizing by the end of March from the CDC in Atlanta, there were things that we were getting completely wrong in our nursing homes. And we started having that evidence available, but we had some provinces and territories not implement those things that we needed to do um, until mid-April. And what people have to realize is that in a pandemic, what we actually can see is that every single day that you delay implementing an important step, that can see an increase by exponential rate um, in the number of deaths and the number of cases. And so I think one thing we've really learned is that speed is important um, and that you've you've got to be quick, you know, when you're dealing with this. And frankly, as we look towards the future now, 
you know, as we start opening up, there will be outbreaks. Um, there will be things happening. And we've got to be ready um, to get on top of it. Because mm. if we don't, we can lose control again so easily. Yeah, that's that's my big worry. It's it's like, you know, we're we're reopening and people are, I think a lot of people have the mindset that like, oh, we're reopening and we're done with COVID-19. Like we're reopening and that's yeah. that, you know, but that's, I, I feel like that can't be the mindset. Like we need to be ready to respond instantaneously if, if there's um, a, a second wave that starts, right? And we're already seeing it because in the U.S. where they never got it under control in many cases, (coughs) and many of the states have already started to open up. I just heard a disturbing dispatch this morning that said, I think it was in Alabama, uh, where they've opened back up already. They only have, they're now seeing climbing rates of people in hospitals again. They said that they're now down to only nine free ICU or critical care beds and ventilators right now. Um, And they're going to have to start deciding who gets that vet pretty soon. Mm. Um, And that's an example of a place that said, okay, we're ready to reopen. They were never ready to reopen. Um, And we're just going to start seeing how, um, unfortunately, we're going to see a lot more tragedies along the way. And this could be an ongoing story for the next 18 months. And that's why... It's going to take another wave, frankly, and we haven't lived through a pandemic yet in our society um, without a second wave to date. Mm -hmm. So there will be a second wave. I hope I'm completely wrong here, but uh, the question is, we have to make sure we take this seriously or it's going to take more of us. Dr. Uh, Sinha, th- this is, uh, you know, it's really funny. It's like we're our, our Friday episodes were like, it's feel good Friday. These are the episodes <laughs> where we're trying to like cheer everybody up. This is, uh, th- but you know what? This week, this yeah, week, it's, it's, it's feel real Friday. <laughs> Somet- yeah. Uh, sometimes it's just a dose so, of so truth. reality. That's right. So <laughs> I want to say, I want to say thank you for coming in here and keeping it real and, uh, and giving us some, a lot to think about because this is obviously very important. And, um, and, uh, it really means a lot that we, that you carve time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us this evening and uh, i'm really glad that we were able to make it work so thank you so much for for everything and uh and keep up the the work that you're doing because it's it's obviously very important thank you very much guys okay well there we go uh i I hope you're still feeling good on this Friday. Uh, um, uh, again, remember if if that if you know if if that real talk um, left you feeling maybe not so good, um, which is very valuable or uh, totally valid and and okay. Uh, what I would suggest doing is just rewind to the uh, zero zero. Uh, zero mark of this episode and listen to the first 20 minutes um, where we we just we you know we just talk about real life action models and um uh and and fake life action models and fa- yeah and yeah and fake yeah right and fake life action models so, and sex dolls hey hey um that is that uh that is it for this week thank you all so much for tuning in uh i'm brian i'm taylor and i'm jeremy and this is sick boy
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.